0: So here we are once again with the holidays upon us. And most of us are wondering, where did the year go? The stores are already filled with Christmas items and decorations. And that great American holiday, Halloween, has come and gone. And doesn't it seem like Halloween is more important than Thanksgiving nowadays? Seems like that way to me. Thanksgiving now seems to be the shopping holiday. You now have many of the department stores that open now on Thanksgiving, so... You can grab that drumstick and run down to the, market, uh, to the department store and try and get that door buster deal that they're offering on Thanksgiving. And I wonder as we approach Thanksgiving, are people in general, in general, are they thankful these days? Do the words thank you really mean something these days? Or are those words just sort of a comma at the end of a sentence? Or something you you sometimes even say without realizing it? You know, kind of a, a, a nervous reaction. Hey, thanks, man. As you go along, as we're busy, to say thank you is to acknowledge that we have been given something, that we are thankful for something that is done for us. And as someone has said, if you can't be thankful for what you have received, be thankful for what you have escaped. To say thank you, it's one of the most politest politest things you can a person can do. And and it's interesting because it's more uncommon these days to hear. It's it's uncommon to hear a, a cashier say thank you at a store. I, I know I find myself on the other side of it when I buy something, saying thank you more than the cashier saying thank you. It's kind of interesting. It's different. But for God's people, being thankful is foundational to the believer's understanding of God. Because God is good. Tonight we are going to look at Psalm 107, verses 1 to 32. Psalm 107, verses 1 to To 32. And I titled this message, Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 32. This psalm addresses the importance of gratitude and thankfulness to those who have been redeemed. This wonderful psalm is a praise song to thank God for redeeming his people from different struggles in life. This psalm was sung by Israel for God's deliverance and restoration as he showed his mercy and his goodness. This psalm is part of a trilogy of psalms, along with Psalm 105 and Psalm 106. The three psalms together they form a trilogy. Psalm 105 tells of Israel's experience from the time of God's covenant with Abraham to their entrance into the promised land. Psalm 106 tracks their unfaithfulness during that same time period and tells of the years of exile in Babylon. And Psalm 107 thanks God for their deliverance from that exile. It is said that when the pilgrims crossed the Atlantic... And found America, uh, America's Plymouth Colony. That this psalm was what William Bradford re- referred to in his account of telling of the founding of the Plymouth Plantation. William Bradford, he, had, he said, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried out unto the Lord, and heard their voice, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. And then he says, Let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good and his mercies endure forever. Yes, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. And as we go through this psalm, you'll hear uh, uh, that same type of saying. And you can see where he got that from. The account here in, in Psalm 107, it described the numerous dangers and the toils and the pil- that the pilgrims had experienced before, during, and after their crossing of the Atlantic Ocean to find America's Plymouth Colony. And there's many examples from the different struggles and dangers the Israelites were delivered from here in Psalm 107 that we can relate to in our own lives and that we can be thankful for. So in verses 1 to 3, we have thankfulness for God's goodness and mercy. Real simple outline. And then in verses 4 to 32, we have examples or pictures of God's goodness and mercy. Let's look at this psalm of thanksgiving. Verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered out of the lands. From the east and from the west. From the north and from the south. Notice verse 1 starts off by saying. Oh give thanks to the Lord. Don't miss that first word. Oh. It's more than just the first word of a sentence. It's a statement of exclamation of God's goodness. It's a statement of something wonderful that is being recognized. The psalmist is excited and he's declaring, oh, give thanks to the Lord. The word thanks means to praise. To give a rightful heavenward acknowledgement to the Lord. The phrase to give thanks has the idea of extending the hands in praise and glory. It's an act of worship. Giving thanks to God honors him, it's a way of praising him. The psalmist then gives some good reasons for thanking the Lord. Notice the middle of verse 1. He says, For he is good. The word good in this context, it refers to one who gives delight and pleasure. One who is kind and generous. This describes our Lord. He does give delight and he is kind and he is generous. It's one of the major truths about our Lord. Psalm 25, 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. And God's people are to exclaim, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is truly good. Notice another um, good reason for giving thanks to the Lord at the end of verse 1. It says, for his mercy. For his mercy. For his mercy endures forever. This is one of the central attributes of the Lord. Mercy. He's a merciful God. Mercy in, in our passage. It, it is the aspect of God's steadfast covenant love. That causes him to help those who are in misery. Or distress either because of breaking God, God's law or in distress because of circumstances beyond their control. Psalm eighty-six, fifteen says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 103 8 says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. In Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And our Lord is truly merciful and we are to exclaim, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. In verses 2 and 3, we have specifics describing who is to give thanks to the Lord. Look at verse 2. He says, Let the redeemed... Of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west. From the north and from the south. So it is a people who have been redeemed. People who have been redeemed from trouble. From awful things that are to declare oh give thanks. The word redeemed in verse 2. It means to buy back from bondage, from slavery, to redeem by payment. God had redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt and then from captivity in Babylon. And Psalm 107 was probably looking back to the Babylonian exile. And while this is probably the reference It also gives us a general reference of God's redemption to all who call to all who have been redeemed by the hand of the enemy. Those who have given their lives to Christ have been redeemed from bondage to sin. And Satan through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are to thank him because he rescued us from the enemy, literally from the hand of the enemy. And this call, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, is is a good cause to ask tonight. To ask a searching personal question. Have I been redeemed? In other words, am I one who has been delivered from sin and have been delivered from the aimless wanderings apart from God? Have I been redeemed to be part of God's covenant people? And if you have not been redeemed, then tonight you can receive God's mercy and goodness and exclaim with that joy as in verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And if you have been redeemed from your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy, then you definitely have cause to exclaim, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his deliverance. And as a result, it is to lead us, those who have been redeemed, to tell others, to exclaim with joy that God is truly good and that His mercy endures forever, as this psalm tells us to. So beginning in verse 4 and running all the way to verse 32, we have four different examples, four pictures describing people in different circumstances. And even though they describe four different circumstances, all these pictures are about the same reality. They are pictures of what it's like to be in exile, what it's like to suffer because of sin, and what it's like for God to redeem a person out of bondage or captivity. These sections are are in verses 4 to 9, which describes those who are wanderers. In verses 10 to 16, it describes those who are prisoners. Verses 17 to 22 describe uh, describe the sick. And verses 23 to 32 describe those who have been storm-tossed. Each of these examples gives us a picture of some difficult circumstances a person goes through, but shows how God delivers people who cry out to Him as we'll see It's also a picture of a person's own spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ and how God's deliverance can come forth and deliver a a person. Each group here gives us a picture of fallen humanity from a a slightly different angle. We are the wanderers. We are the prisoners. We are the sick. We are the storm-tossed. And also keep in mind as we look at, at verses 4 to 32 that there's a repeated phrase at the end of these sections. Remember, this is a psalm. This is a song. And there's this repeated phrase at the end of, of a repeated chorus. At the end of this, each section that says, Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And that repeated phrase is in verse 8, 15, 21, and 31 calling the redeemed to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. So let's read verses 4 through 9. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress or their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry with goodness. And as I said earlier, this song was probably written after the Babylonian exile. It was probably looking back to the redemption of God's people from their Babylonian captivity. And even though this is probably the reference, it can also represent the redemption of Israel from the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And you see hints of that also. And it's also applicable to all who have been redeemed from sin. And also, you can see why this passage would have ministered to the pilgrims to describe their experiences. They had been driven from their homes as they set out for America. According to William Bradford, they were hunted and persecuted on every side. He said some were taken and clapped up in prison. Others had their houses beset and watched night and day and hardly escaped their enemies' hands. And the most were constrained to flee and leave their houses and habitations and the means of their livelihood. These were the problems that they went through in the early 1600s. So when they finally came to America and were settled in their own homes, even though their houses were not much, the pilgrims had a great gratitude to God. This is why they could relate to verses 6 and 7. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Now, if they gave praise to God, how much more should we give praise to God? Those of us who have been saved from eternal hell. Notice verse 4 says, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. We found no city to dwell in. I like the way one person described this. He said uh, he described it as uh, the, the, it was a the desert was a trackless. It was a desert trackless waste, the desolate waste, referring to that. This is the description of the person who who is out of touch with God, the person who is trackless in life. There's no real path in life. A person is just wandering in the desert with no compass. That's the way many of us were before we gave our lives to the Lord. Those of us who were once spiritually lost were wanderers. Those of us who were once stumbling around in life, looking for meaning and purpose apart from a relationship with the Lord. Isaiah 53, 6 describes this. It says, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Before we gave our life to the Lord, we were wandering aimlessly. We were in a barren place. We were like sheep who had gone astray. But we received salvation, which is the greatest redemption and the ultimate reason for giving thanks. Verse 5 says, Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. That's the way we once were. Romans 5, 6 describes our spiritual condition. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is the spiritual weak condition that we were in when we needed salvation. Verse 9 tells us the kind of people God helps. Notice he says, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. It is those who realize that they are lost and realize that that there's something missing in their soul. The longing soul. Look at verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. Notice the word then there in verse 6. It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Then, after they went through stuff, it's so... Unfortunate that many times a person often delays turning to salvation until they hit bottom. Sometimes a spouse leaves a, another person due to sin or there's addiction to drugs or alcohol. And many times it takes something like that to happen for people to then to cry out to the Lord. But Crying out to the Lord before things happen, man, it can prevent a lot of heartache. Our Lord does satisfy the longing, thirsty soul, and he fills the hungry soul with what is good, as verse 9 tells us. For the person who is lost, Jesus says, I am the way. For the person who is empty and hungry, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. For the person who has a thirsty soul, Jesus says, I will give you living water. For the person who feels exhausted and weary from the load of life, Jesus says, I will give you rest. These are the kind of situations in life that many of us were delivered from. And need to declare, as verse 8 calls us to, oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. The next example is those who were freed from prison. Let's read verses 10 to 16. Those who sat in darkness. And in the shadow of death. Bound in afflictions and irons. Because they rebelled against the words of God. And despised the counsel of the most high. Therefore he brought down. Their heart with labor. They fell down and there was no hope. There was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. This second example is a picture of being freed from prison. Verse 10 gives us a description. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions and irons. This group was in darkness and misery and chains because they rebelled against God's word. Verse 11 gives us that. He says, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. When Israel was in Babylon, their situation was like being in prison. They were there because of rebellion. They were there because of disobedience. So in a sense, they were chained in a very dark place. They were in the darkness of misery of that pagan place. And they had no hope of freedom. They were like people in a dungeon, a a stinking, smelly, filthy dungeon on death row. Waiting either execution or death from the conditions. They were without light and without hope. This is how it was for Israel. They were taken into captivity in Babylon because of their rebellion. The prophet Isaiah declared this in in Isaiah uh, 5.24. He says, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And when you look at the plight of the pilgrims, their leaders were put in prison for for opposing the established religion of that time. And when the small group tried to escape the persecution by sailing across the English Channel to Holland or somewhere else, many times they were arrested on account of that also. Again, William Bradford tells of some of these incidents. Uh, He says, The men were separated from their wives and children. Pitiful it was to see the heavy case of these poor women in this distress. What weeping and crying on every side. Some for their husbands that were carried away. Others not knowing what should become of them and their little ones. Others again melting in tears. Seeing their poor little ones hanging about them. Crying for fear and quaking with cold. But this being thus apprehended. They were hurried from one place to another and from one justice to another till in the end they knew not what to do with them. Bradford goes on to tell that they eventually were able to get to Holland and they were so thankful to the Lord for that. In verses 13 and 14, we have the plea to the Lord. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. And most of us cannot say that we've been delivered from prison literally, even though I'm sure there's a few in here who can say, "Amen," you know, I've been in prison, you know, so. (laughs) Uh, But most of us have, we don't know that. But any of us who have been given who have given our lives to the Lord, we can say that we've been delivered from the prison of sin. When we came to give our lives to the Lord, we came to the realization that we were in the prison of our sins, sentenced to eternal punishment in hell. We came to truly identify with what Jesus said in Luke 4.18 when he said that he uh, he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Isaiah 61.1 also declares, he, he has sent me, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. When we gave our lives to the Lord, we realized that life was once aimless and lost and we were hopeless and there was no real satisfaction When we gave our lives to the Lord, we then understood that we were imprisoned and as a result of violating God's law and as a result of rebellion against God's word. And if we are truly born again, then we know that we were once slaves to sin uh, but by the atoning death of Jesus, we have been freed from, from the chains of sin. Those of us who are... Uh, who are born again can say as verse 11 tells us we rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the the, the most high but we can also declare as verse 14 tells us he brought us out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces thank you Jesus even as God broke down the chains of Israel's oppressors He broke the chains of sin for those of us who have given our lives to him. And we are to exclaim with joy to the Lord. He who has opened those prison doors. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. As verse 16 says, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. In verses 17 to 22, we have deliverance for those who suffer affliction because of their inequities. Look at verse 17. It says, fools because of their transgression and because of their inequities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. This third example gives us the picture of those who have suffered afflictions. Because of their inequities, as verse 17 says. It describes affliction so severe that uh, it brought those mentioned near the gates of death. Verse 18. The sickness that affected the Israelites happened to them as a result of their sinfulness. Well, in Babylon, the nation of Israel, they almost ceased to exist. Verse 17 says... Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their inequities, were afflicted. The word fools there, it describes God's uh, evaluation of Israel's behavior. Doesn't mean that they were mentally uh, deficient or unintelligent. But they were spiritually and morally foolish. They were rebellious people who disregarded God's law, so they suffered because of their transgressions and inequities. Notice the word transgression there in verse 17. It means to revolt, to trespass, to rebel against God and His laws. The word is used in Isaiah 59, 12 and 13, for it says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our inequities, we know them. In transgression, transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God. Speaking, oppression and revolt. Con- conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. The word inequities... Is a major word in the Old Testament to indicate sin. The word indicates sin that is evil. It conveys the idea of deliberately twisting or perverting. The word speaks of sin in a conscious sense, like when Israel by choice returned to their sins after, uh, that their ancestors had committed. Jeremiah 11.10 says, They have turned back to the inequities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. Again, this is a picture of the sinner in his lost condition. And sin does take a toll on a person uh, physically and emotionally. Verse 18 could be, If you look at it, it could be a description of a drug addict or an alcoholic who has fried his mind and his body. They're so abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. People think that they can live a life of sin without consequences. But at some point, they eventually do hit bottom. And as the end of verse 18 says, they drew near to the gates of death. Until they hit bottom a lot of people are not willing to turn to God. And there are many, like many of us, who finally came to the end of ourselves and cried out to the Lord for help. Psalm thirty two, five says, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquities of my sin. And as verse 19 declares here in our text, it says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. God in his amazing grace, God in that undeserved favor responds to our call for deliverance. And so if you are in great trouble today, if you have hit bottom, and, and you know that the reason for your trouble is your own rebellion, you can cry out to the Lord for, for that help that He only he can deliver. And he will deliver you from your sins to his glory. This passage is describing deliverance from spiritual sickness. Notice verse 20 refers to God's word as the agent of our healing. The agent of our healing. Notice verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God's word is what heals our spiritual sickness because the word of God has spiritual life. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what happened. I would. I remember when I got saved, I was sitting there and the word of God was being proclaimed and it was just cutting me. It was just gripping my mind and my heart and the next thing you know, I'm up there accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior and many of you can testify to that same example, the word of God. And when you witness to people, make sure you, It sometimes you can get in an argument, sometimes you can just go back and forth, but give them the word of God and you'll be surprised at what it does. <laughs> When you read the Word of God to them. Our condition before we gave our lives to Jesus Christ was far worse than just being sick. The Word of God says that we were actually dead. Ephesians 2:1 describes what took place. It says that you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When we gave our lives to the Lord, we experienced a, a spiritual resurrection. I remember when I got saved, man, my brother Andy, as many of you know, he works, he serves in the bookstore, man. He came down crying like a big baby. And uh, he had the whole church crying and they had to take him out of the side and town to calm down, <laughs> get a grip, man, you know. And the Lord was just dealing with us and saving us. He saved us. And if you've given your life to the Lord, you have been saved from the grave. As verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And this section also concludes that we should be thankful for that deliverance. Look at verses 21 and 22. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And the last example speaks of those who are storm tossed, those whose life is threatened by a storm. Verses twenty three to uh, thirty two, look at verse uh, twenty three. Those who go down to the ship, to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then... They are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. So only a person who has been on the ocean in a violent storm can appreciate how accurate these scary words are. Um, we once, I worked for L.A. City Schools and uh, they did a date. We used to tutor kids and when they, uh, L.A. City Schools had a boat and they took us out one day on a field trip with all the kids and Gloria was with me. We were both going to go into education at that point and uh, we both spent the whole afternoon under the bottom th- uh, galley there just going... <laughs> we got so seasick um, but and only a person who's been on the ocean in a violent storm can appreciate how frightening these words are but there were the kind of things that the people of that time experienced it happened a lot because transportation was done on the sea and many times the sea was dangerous and terrifying We have accounts in the Bible like Jonah's experience with the sailors headed for Tarshish. And Paul's dangerous voyage in Acts 27 as examples of how dangerous the sea can be. And you can see how the pilgrims could have related to this section as a description of the difficult 65-day late uh, crossing in the fall that they went through across the Atlantic. And the Israelites came to realize that the storm of the Babylonian captivity threatened to drown them all. But those of us who have given our lives to the Lord know that the world is a troubled sea. It's a mess out there. It's a violent sea. The lost are just out there being tossed, full of temptation, unhappiness, misery. That sooner or later, those, I mean, people get drowned by those tossing, crashing waves of life apart from living for Jesus. And the enemy of our souls, Satan loves to have a person constantly tossed to and fro, staggering like a drunken man knocked overboard by the waves. The brutal things that go on in life. The oppressions of life. The ugliness of life that we allow to go on when we're not walking with the Lord. It, it eventually brings disaster and drowning. But, rescue can happen and has happened and does happen through the harbor of salvation. Salvation. And those who have been saved know that they have been rescued. Look at the SOS call that is uttered in verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. The SOS call, the SOS call for help is answered with forgiveness of sins. Look at the result in verses 28 to 30. He calms the storm. I love this. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how our Lord transforms the soul from from agitation and a a miserable life and aimless wanderings. and, And, you know, we're headed nowhere fast. And he transforms that. He, he takes that and he transforms a person's lives and, and gives them the peace which surpasses all understanding. I mean, I just, I'm so thankful to the Lord for the life I once had and now the life that with peace of soul and just, you know, I mean, things go on every day and we still go through stuff. But man, overall, the peace of, of God that we can obtain and draw from every day. And those of us who have given our lives to the Lord, we know what this is like. This psalm truly shows us what a merciful Savior we have. We are all undeserving, and yet God, in His graciousness, is there to save us from drowning when we cry out to Him. And we are to proclaim in our hearts, so as verses 31 and 32 declare, oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 32 says. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. And praise him in the company of the elders. So in these four pictures we have looked at tonight. We've seen what it's like to be wandering. To be imprisoned. To be afflicted. And to be storm-tossed. And also what it's like to be redeemed out of all of those situations. But let's briefly look at the repeated frame that ends each of these sections. Uh, We've looked at four times here. In each of these verses, the first two lines are the same. It says, Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. But the next two lines have differences. In the first two sections, there are reasons for giving thanks to God. Verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry with goodness. And verse 16 says, For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. The reason is because of God's salvation. But then... There is the last two sections that give ways that we can give thanks to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And in verse 32, let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. So it's like the refrain goes from praising and thanking God for the great salvation that we have received. To our lives being a sacrifice, a thank offering, and then describing God's mercies to others. There's a progression I love when I saw that. Um, And my question to us is that how can we sacrifice, how can we sacrifice thank, thank offerings to the Lord tonight? As it says, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, verse 22. And the answer is in Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We have to make sure that we are offering ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And just as we used to present our bodies to all the impurities and the junk of the world, we, now we are to have that same, that same drive. We are to put that same effort into presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Living with the realization of all that the Lord has brought us through. All the mercies that he bestowed on us. Realizing that we are in him. And walking closely with him as living sacrifices on a daily basis. So that our lives will reflect the genuineness of that commitment that we made to the Lord when we gave our lives to him. We need to make sure that we are living sacrifices on a daily basis. We need to make sure that we don't squirm off the altar or that we don't just put one finger on the altar, but all of ourselves on the altar, all of us, our whole life on the altar. And if we are doing this, then we must declare God's mercies to others as this psalm commands us. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And I pray we would exclaim this heart attitude of gratitude as we truly realize the deliverance that we have received. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gather, gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, verses 2 and 3. And we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different places in life and different circumstances in life. We all have different stories to tell. But the one common factor, if we have given our life to the Lord, is that we have been redeemed. We have been delivered from the curse of sin. And the psalmist calls us to sing the song of thanksgiving and praise to God. And oh, that we would show gratefulness to God in our, for our life in Him. That we would show gratefulness to God for the daily provisions that He gives to us. And I pray that the attitude of entitlement that has infected our society does not creep into our lives. That will kill a heart of thanksgiving. That is a mark of those who are not born again. The unregenerate, Romans 121 says, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And I pray that if you're here this evening and and you're going through circumstances in your life that are making it hard for gratitude, I pray that this message tonight would somehow cut through and in some way you would give thanks to the Lord because he loves you. And he cares for you and he is in control. And he will take care of things. I want to close with a story I read of a man who was robbed one day. After he was robbed, he wondered how he can be thankful in all things. And he thought about it for a while. And he came to the conclusion that he was thankful that the robber took his money and not his life. He was thankful that he what he took was not very much. He was thankful that he was not robbed before. And he was thankful that he was robbed and not the robber. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you. We do thank you, Lord, for you are so good to us, Lord. Your mercies endure forever. Your graciousness, your kindness, the salvation that you have delivered us from, Lord, is enough to thank you for the rest of our lives, Lord. Father, cause all of us, Lord, to realize that, to be impacted with that daily. I pray for every member of your church here tonight and listening. That, Father, you would just use us tomorrow, Lord, as we gather with family, Lord, and that we would truly give you that thanks that you deserve, Lord, that we would do it every day, Lord. But tomorrow, as our nation looks to this holiday, that we would be that mighty witness and people would, family members, friends would see that deliverance in our lives and we would proclaim that, Lord. And I pray for anyone here tonight, Lord, that maybe has walked away from you or even doesn't, has never given their life to you, that tonight they can receive that, that thankful heart, that joyfulness, Lord, that only you can give, Lord. And if there's anyone here tonight, Lord, as we're all praying right now, just pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I cry out to you for deliverance change my heart, cleanse me, wash me new. From this day forward, I will walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.